Hello there, and welcome to episode 83 of Blue Jays World Update. I'm your host, Thomas Hall, and let's get you up to date. Okay, on, so on this week's episode, we got injury updates to Teoscar Hernandez, Hunjin Ryu, Danny Jansen. We're going to talk about how the Blue Jays have reduced their roster down from 28 players to 26 players. Then we're going to get into how Kevin Gosman has been, if not the best, one of the best pitchers in the majors so far this season, how dominant his slider has been thus far. And then we're going to discuss Bo Bichette and how, though he may be struggling out of the gate in 2022, he had a very good series against the Astros over the weekend, and he might be starting to turn a corner a little bit. So we're going to dive into the numbers there. Then speaking of struggling hitters, we're going to get into Alejandro Kirk and his slow start, at least offensively, and how he needs to make a minor adjustment at the plate regarding his approach. And then, before we wrap things up, we're going to talk about one of the brightest young stars in the Blue Jays' prospect system, Ricky Tiedman, um, and how he is off to a fantastic start and how he's already knocking on the door for a promotion this early in the season. So let's dive right in. Okay, so we got some really positive news here about one of the blue, one of the best hitters on the Blue Jays, and that is Teoscar Hernandez, who has been dealing with an oblique injury over the last few weeks, and he's finally going to be off for a re- rehab assignment. Uh, after the game on Sunday, the Blue Jays announced that Teoscar is heading down to Florida to play in some rehab games with the Dunedin Blue Jays. Now, originally, Teoscar was supposed to go to Buffalo to get his rehab worked in, but the weather in, or the weather on the East Coast, uh, specifically in Buffalo, is really crappy this week. Um, you know, especially Tuesday. Tuesday we're supposed to get a lot of rain on the East Coast, uh, especially in the in the Toronto, Niagara, Buffalo area, all there. There's supposed to be a, a a strong weather system. I'm no weather person, but there's supposed to be a an all day rain sort of system coming in Tuesday. So to avoid all of that, Teoscar is going to probably play his first rehab game Tuesday with the Dunedin Blue Jays. Um, and if all goes well with him, he could potentially make his return to the Blue Jays lineup on Thursday during the series opener in Cleveland against the Guardians. So that would be huge news for the Blue Jays because their offense, as we've all seen, lacks his presence within the middle of the order. So getting him back as soon as possible will be huge. It sucks that they won't have him for the series coming up against the Yankees because they desperately could use his bat in that. But at the end of the day, if you can get him back early May, that's, that's great news for the Blue Jays. Uh, and Ryu, we also have a encourage, or an encouraging update regarding his status, too. Um, he threw a bullpen session over the weekend, two live hitters as well, um, or, or he threw batting practice, not a bullpen session. And uh, it sounds as though he's not far away either from going out on a rehab assignment. So 
it's very possible that you know within the first few weeks of May, the Blue Jays could have both Hernandez and Ryu back from injury. And you know, it's intriguing too with Ryu because Charlie Montoyo spoke about Ryu's um, length and his stamina. And right now, he, because he's been off for a while, um, he, when he does return, he's not going to be fully stretched out. So, you know, he's probably only going to be able to throw somewhere around 60, 70 pitches um, during his few, first few starts. So, it sounds like at least um, the Blue Jays may piggyback Ryu with, you know, Stripling um, because he is stretched out more than Ryu. So, you know, potentially if Ryu goes two or three innings, they could bring in Stripling to throw, you know, three or four innings, uh, ideally, right, in a perfect world. But, um, you know, it, it's it's also very intriguing to me because, you know, Ross Stripling's performed well. So, you know, Ryu was struggling mightily with his command before getting injured, and I alluded to this, like, in last week's episode, and that's if Ryu still is nowhere close to where he needs to be with his command, and Stripling's still performing well, like, how do you not shift Ryu to the bullpen and keep Stripling as, as a starter? Um... You know, as a pitcher that's making $20 million a year, of course, you don't want him in the bullpen. You want him in the starting rotation. But at the same time, you have to do what's best for the team. And if that's having Stripling in the starting rotation and Ryu in the bullpen, then maybe that's a tough decision the Blue Jays will have to make. Um, But for right now, obviously, they don't have to make any drastic decision decisions just yet but you know that's something to keep in mind as the days go on uh, especially once Ryu does come back um, but again hopefully he he looks healthy and and is able to find his command once again um, and Danny Jansen as well he's just starting to take swings off a of batting tee so you know Teoscar was at that point like a week and a half ago. So it seems like Danny Jansen's probably about that amount of time behind Hernandez. So, you know, maybe he goes out on a rehab assignment mid-May, possibly. Maybe a little bit sooner, depending on how he feels. Um, but without a doubt, the Blue Jays, I'm sure, can't wait to have Danny Jansen back. Especially the way he was hitting prior to his injury. I mean, it was, he was mashing the baseball. Um, you know, I wrote an article about it up uh, on Jay's Nation a few weeks back. And it's just, it was just such a, a disappointing blow to Jansen's season. Because opening weekend, man, like defensively, offensively, he was lighting the world up. And then to, to suffer an oblique injury that has kept him out for almost a month now. Uh, just, just. Awful, awful luck for Danny Jansen. But, you know, maybe he can return uh, or maybe he can go on a rehab assignment while the Blue Jays 
are in Tampa, like maybe because he's in Toronto right now. So maybe um, when the Blue Jays head to Tampa Bay um, on the 13th, because that's started their three game series against the Rays. Maybe he joins them on that trip and, and hangs out in Dunedin, plays some rehab games, um, possibly for, you know, a week maybe, because he's missed a lot of time. So I could see him needing, you know, probably more rehab games than Teoscar will. Um, but again, like just nothing but encouraging things from an injury report. Um, obviously, the Blue Jays lost uh, Saucedo, who, uh, while fielding a little grounder off the mound um you know appeared to tweak something in his lower half so uh he's out for at least 10 days um but at the same time it's not like he was performing all that well with the blue jays at the major league level anyway but hopefully that's not a long-term issue for him and to uh get down to 26 players which is now the maximum amount now that it's uh, May 2nd, the Blue Jays have optioned Gosuke Kato and Bowden Francis. And uh, as a result, they're going the way of being able to carry 14 pitchers total, which is a new rule that was put in place um, for the month of May. So after this month, the Blue Jays will have to send down a reliever to get to 13, which I would think at that point we probably see Kato back up in the majors, if not sooner, depending on injuries, of course. Um, but it, it's uh, it's certainly the right move to make. I mean, especially with the fact that Kikuchi isn't going deep into games. Ross Stripling really can only give you like four or five innings right now. Um, you know, with, without a doubt, it's it's a smart move to catch, carry an extra reliever. Also, too, it's going to be very difficult for the Blue Jays to ultimately decide which reliever goes down to the minors. Um, because, you know, once Ryu and Brucky come back, uh, obviously Trent Thornton goes down and... Uh, Andrew Vasquez goes down as well, but, you know, Brucky, like he, he, he was touching 97 miles per hour with his fastball before getting injured, so um, I, considering he's out of options, I have a hard time seeing the Blue Jays letting him go and, and exposing him to waivers, um, so it's going to be very interesting to see who the Blue Jays do send down at the end of the month. I mean, obviously, injuries could solve that issue for them, but Julian Merriweather is someone who has a minor league option left and could be an odd man out because he really hasn't done anything so far to earn himself um, a spot in the majors. So if the decision was up to me, he's probably a guy I'm sending down to AAA. Now, getting into the really fun stuff here, and that's what the Blue Jays have been able to do so far this season. Um, my goodness, almost every single game has felt like a playoff game because there have been so many one-run games for the Blue Jays so far. Like, they're 9-2 and two in one-run games, which is fantastic because a year ago... They were awful in one-run games. And more often than not, than not, 
their bullpen would blow those games for them. So, you know, it, it's clear that they have drastically altered their weakness from a year ago, which was their bullpen. And they did that midway through last season too with the acquisitions of Trevor Richards and Adam Simber, but it goes even deeper with David Phelps being healthy now, the addition of Jimmy Garcia, Romano just being lights out, um, and, and Tameza back there as well. You know, there's so many weapons for the Blue Jays now at the back end of their bullpen, which they didn't have a year ago. Right, they they had Tim Aza and Julian Mary or uh, Jordan Romano and and Merriweather for a bit uh, against the Yankees there, but other than those three, you couldn't count on anyone. You know, like Tyler Chatwood was good for a little bit and then fell off completely, and then you had guys like Anthony Castro in there, um, who the Blue Jays flipped for Bradley Zimmer, who's been very good defensively for them thus far. So, you know, I mean, it's been fantastic to see them win all these one-run games, something they, they weren't able to do a year ago. But, you know, it'd be nice if they could actually win a blowout for once. Um, you know, instead of piling up all these one-run wins. Because, you know, it's not sustainable, obviously. Right? Um, their offense isn't producing the way we expect it to. But at the same time... Wins are wins. Wins are wins. At the end of the day, winning cures all. And it's even more impressive that the Blue Jays are able to win these close games without relying on their offense. I mean, there have been times where they've bailed them out, right? Uh, the late game heroics from George Springer a little while back. Bo Bichette's Grand Slam. Um, so... You know, they have been able to, to count on their offense to save them a, a few times this season. I mean, they did it right on opening day, right? So, um, but yeah, it's just, it's remarkable to me that their record in one-run games is 9-2. and two. Um, And that's a big reason why they're up, with, up there with the Yankees. Um, in the division right now is because they're winning all these one-run games. They would probably be more like where the Red Sox are, who are nine and fourteen to begin the year, um, if they haven't if they hadn't won all these one-run games. Now, obviously, going up a, a, a going up against a team like the Yankees, who are mashing balls right now, specifically Aaron Judge, who's coming off a multi-home run game. Um, that, that he enjoyed on Sunday in the finale against Kansas City. Um, there's probably going to be a lot of high-scoring games in this three-game series, more often than not, especially because the Blue Jays are at the point of their rotation where the Yankees don't have to see Jose Barrios. They don't have to see Kevin Gosman. They get Alec Manoa in the second game, but you got Ross Stripling on Monday and Yusei Kikuchi on Wednesday. So... You know, the Blue Jays offense better wake up here because they they may find themselves playing from behind a lot if they don't. Um, now, that being said, it was interesting to see that despite being no hit through the majority of Sunday's game against the Astros, 
someone like Bo Bichette, who's struggled mightily out of the gate thus far, and I'll get into his numbers in a bit, um, was able to break up that no-no with a massive two-run shot to give them a 2-1 lead at the time. Um, and then to manufacture a run at the perfect time, thanks to Santiago Espinal late in the game, that proved to be the game winner. I mean, the fact that this offense just never gives up is truly encouraging because they're never out of a game when you have that recipe. Um, so even though they, you know, statistically they're an above average offense right now, but we know they're capable of more. Um, and there's no doubt in my mind that they'll start producing a bit more when Teoscar Hernandez returns. Um, but for right now, they're certainly keeping their heads above water. And speaking of Sunday's game, might I add, it was another gem from Kevin Gosman. Like, he's already been, or sorry, entering this season, people outside of this market, specifically down south in the States, the whole notion that, oh, the Blue Jays lost Robbie Ray, the 2021 AL Cy Young Award winner, and you know, replaced him with Kevin Osman, who, you know, in, uh, uh, he was in the NL West, and there's bigger ballparks out there, and, you know, there's not as good as uh, offenses out there, and, you know, you come over to the AL East, and there's a lot of band, uh, a lot of band boxes uh, in that division. All of that is just nonsense, and Gosman has proven that thus far, because he has been utterly dominant through five starts. And, you know, it goes beyond just his traditional metrics. Like, he's got a 227 ERA right now over his 31 and two-thirds innings pitched. But he also hasn't walked anyone yet either. Like, he struck out, he's recorded 41 strikeouts thus far. Hasn't walked a single batter. And I believe the record for recording the most strikeouts before issuing a walk is 58 that Corbin Burns set last season. So it's possible Kevin Gosman uh, reaches that mark. But he's already up there in a category with Cy Young. Like Cy Young, the Cy Young. And that's through five starts. There's only been two pitchers in, in the World Series era to go five starts without issuing a walk. That's been Kevin Gosman and Cy Young. Not to mention, Kevin Gosman's 1.9 Fangraph, Fangraph's war rating right now leads the majors, leads all pitchers in war. Like... There's no question about it. This dude, right now, through one month, is the front runner for the AL Cy Young. There's, you know, there's no doubt about it. Like, no disrespect to some of the other pitchers in the American League. 
like Joe Ryan. Joe Ryan's been fantastic for the Minnesota Twins early on here. But Kevin Gosman's just been unworldly so far. And a large part of it is because of his damn splitter. Like, my goodness. A year ago, you could make the argument it was the best pitch in baseball. Right? A season ago, opponents were batting 133 off his splitter. uh, Just a 224 slugging. It posted a 45.9% whiff rate, a 45.8% strikeout rate, and a respectable 16.1% chase rate. This season, it's gotten even better. It's gotten even better. Right now, hitters are hitting just a 125 clip off his splitter, a 143 slugging. It's got a 51.8% whiff rate, a 50, uh, a 51, or sorry, a 53.6% strikeout rate. Its chase rate has also exploded for a 33.3% uh, rate. And it's mind-blowing to me that his splitter could get even better than it was last year. It blows my mind. And I think some of it is, you know, all most of the hitters in the American League just aren't familiar with Gosman Splitter because he did spend the last two seasons in San Francisco. So, you know, a lot of the division wouldn't have really gained a, a whole lot of in-person experience. So, you know, I think that's probably a bit of a factor. But at the same time, like, you have to give all the credit in the world to Kevin Gosman for being able to accomplish this through his first five starts with the Blue Jays. And I mean, you know, like, last time out versus the Astros, seven strong, just a pair of earned runs, 10 strikeouts, like, unbelievable stuff. And what's even more impressive is that he's incorporated his slider more this season than he did last season. And, you know, it it has given up a sizable amount of hard contact so far this season. Um, Like right now, his slider features a 66.7% hard hit rate against. So, you know, understandably, the expected numbers are a lot higher against that pitch rather than the traditional metrics. So, you know, there, there have been times where Gosman slider hasn't broken enough um, to the outside part of the plate and it stayed in the middle and and he's gotten a little lucky thanks to his defense but you know when that pitch is working like specifically his start against the Red Sox at Fenway Park um, a few weeks ago that slider was nasty and as a hitter when you not only have to factor in his four seamer which right now is fantastic at the top of the zone then you have to guard against his splitter at the bottom of the zone and then when you have to also 
battle against the slider as a right-hander that's going to break away from you, that's nasty. That's so nasty. We, when you have all three of those pitches working at the same time, you're unhittable. And that's exactly why Gosman nearly went the full game uh, during that contest at Fenway Park. It was just unbelievable to watch. Um, and, and, you know, for context, like his slider has a 53.1% whiff rate right now. Like that's up from, that's up 10% from last season. So, and you know, Gosman's utilizing a slider uh, at a 14.6% rate. It, he only used it like 6% last year. So, um, you know, if that if that's a, another weapon for him that he can consistently uh, locate, especially against writers, right-handers, because that's mostly who uh, he's using them against is right-handers. So, you know, again, if he can effectively locate that breaking away from righties and it doesn't have the greatest of movements like it barely has much horizontal break to it but again even if he doesn't have his slider working and there are going to be times where he doesn't have that he still has his dominant one-two punch of his four-seamer and splitter and like I said already Gosman splitter is even better than it was last season, which is outstanding. And, uh, you know, I, I mentioned this a little bit ago, and it's Bo Bichette. And, you know, without Teoscar Hernandez in the lineup, there's more weight on Bichette's shoulders to, you know, contribute more. And, uh... So far this season, that's not something he's been able to accomplish. But he is potentially seeing a light at the end of the tunnel. Um, like right now, he's he's only slashing 214, 238, a 327. His strikeout rate is just enormous. It's at 26.7%. Last year was at 19.9%. Um, you know, he's really, really struggling to put balls in play. Just a 265 BAP, a 253 WOBA. Um, you know, he, but the thing with Bo is he's been unlucky this season. And that's been fairly evident over his last few games. Like on this season, he's got a 54.9% hard hit rate. Um, and as a result of that, his expected numbers are, are much higher than his actual ones. Like he's got a 286 uh, expected average, a 473 expected slugging, and a 331 expected WOBA. And if we even shrink that a little bit more, we'll see over his last um, 39 plate appearances... So in total, that's his last nine games. He's been even more uh, plagued by by some bad luck. Like he's got a 73.1% hard hit rate over his last nine games, and an 11.5% barrel rate too. You know, he's he's generating a lot of hard contact, and even in that series against Houston, like he lined a ball up the middle that easily should have been a base hit, 
but it was just right at Jeremy Pena. Um, and, you know, another issue with, with Bo right now, too, is he's hitting even more ground balls than he normally does. Um, you know, even after, over his last nine games, he's got a 50% ground ball rate. Um, and on the season, his ground ball rate is at a career high 57.7% rate. And, you know, last season that was at 49.1%. So, you know, it's, uh, I think it's just a matter of time until breaks, Bo breaks out of this. So I'm not, I am a little concerned, but you know, I am confident that he will eventually turn things around and it wouldn't shock me either if that comes fairly soon here. Again, just because he's creating so much hard contact lately, he's bound to, you know, eventually have those balls start to fall for hits. And two, if he starts generating more line drives and fewer ground balls, that could also help him in that department as well. And I think too, someone else who needs to make a little bit of an adjustment at the plate is Alejandro Kirk because, you know, defensively, he's been solid so far. You know, his framing, his, his pitch sequencing, it's been terrific thus far. And with Jansen out, that's been huge. And, you know, if he starts hitting a little bit better too, his, his value is just going to shoot through the roof. Um, and, and the biggest thing with Kirk right now is... He's just not hitting for contact or power. And that's that's not who we've come to know Alejandro Kirk to be. I mean, he's still getting on base, right? He's got a 12.3% walk rate to a 10.8% strikeout rate. So his plate discipline is phenomenal. And that's helped him earn uh, a 323 on base percentage despite um, having a zero ISO and a 260 BAP and a 232 slugging. Um, but the thing is with Kirk is pitchers have kind of figured him out a little bit. Um, and it's where they know he's going to swing at a lot of pitches. They know he likes to put, uh, the bat on the ball and, and make a lot of contact. Um, you know, like he's, he's got a ridiculous 87.4% contact rate this season, but that also gets him into trouble a little bit too, because, you know, he's not putting as many balls in play that are hard contact. Like, his hard hit rate's down to a 34% clip this year. And, and last season was at 46.9%. So, you know, you look at that and say, okay, like, the quality of his at-bats aren't resulting in a lot of damage. And why is that? Well, it's because pitchers are pitching to his weaknesses. And that's, you know, because of his height they're able to expose them a little bit at the top of the zone. So right now they're throwing primarily fastballs right at the letters and away from him too. So, you know, more often than not, it's either a pop-up or a fly-out for Kirk. He's not really able to get on top of those balls at the top of the zone, which is fair because that's tough to do for a guy of his, for a guy of his stature. And then everything soft is blown away from him. So, Really, all he can do with those pitches is induce weekly hit ground balls. And those are two reasons why you're not seeing him do as much damage this year. 
And if he's able to start laying off those pitches a little bit more, specifically the ones that are low and away from him, then he's going to force pitchers back into the middle of the zone a little bit more. Obviously, they're going to be cautious with a guy like him because they know his reputation of, of someone who creates a lot of hard contact, but he needs to force pitchers back onto the plate and not just on the edges. So, you know, as much as I love the fact that he is someone who doesn't strike out much and creates a lot of car, a lot of contact, it, it's hurting him a little bit. The fact that he's, you know, willing to put the ball on the bat so many times, or the bat on the ball so many times, he needs to just, you know, mentally realize, okay, I don't need to swing at pitches that aren't ones I can do damage off of. And, you know, I think we forget too, sometimes, he's only 23, right? This is a guy who's still fairly inexperienced at the major league level. And now that pitchers have adjusted to him, he's got to make that adjustment back where he's got to realize for himself, and he's not alone in this, right? He's got a full team uh, of, of coaches that can help him understand what's going wrong for him at the plate. And it's really just, you know, a recognition of what pitches I need to swing at and which ones I don't. You know, it's like, okay, these are my hot zones. If the pitch is located here, I swing. If it's not located in those spots, I let it go. And, you know, I I think that's just uh, something he's got to work through at the dish. And it's just, it's going to take, it's going to take some time. Where, you know, he, he starts to realize, okay, I, I, I don't need to make as much contact as I do. Um, it's great, right? Because it doesn't lead to many strikeouts. But, you know, at the same time, he's just, he's not getting those results because he's putting so many soft balls or softly hit balls in play. Um, but at the end of the day, too, he's focusing on more than just hitting right now right he, he's the number one catcher at 23 years old on a team that has very high playoff aspirations he, he's you know he, he's catching more than you would like just because of the workload um so you know i i think when jansen get back gets back too that'll help him as well just because he won't have as much on his plate then he can focus a little bit more on the hitting aspect of his game rather than you know controlling a whole staff and working on his defense because that's been a huge improvement this season and and it's notable too um so it's just it's all going to come in good time for Alejandro Kirk I don't I don't think there's any need to push any panic buttons or anything like that in his regard and uh and and two I want to touch on one of the Blue Jays' top prospects. And, and I said this at the beginning of the episode. Ricky Tiedman, who, for those of you who don't know, was the Blue Jays' third-round pick from last season's draft. And, you know, they already dealt Gunnar Hoglin earlier this year. It, he was included in the Matt Chapman trade. 
So right now, Tiedman is their top prospect from, well, he's probably their top pitching prospect right now, if we don't consider Nate Pearson a prospect anymore. And he's their top pick from last year's draft. And even though he's 19 years old, he won't be, he won't turn 20 until August. He's been dominant, dominant at single A Dunedin. He's only made four starts, so small sample size. But very, very few have been able to touch him. You know, across his four starts, he's got 33 strikeouts. He's only allowed two earned runs, five hits, time walks. So the control is a little bit, a little bit of an issue. But when you're striking as many batters out as he is, you're not all that concerned. You know, he's got a .90 ERA, a 1.54 FIP. He's inducing a fair amount of ground balls at a 46.4% clip. And one of the biggest reasons I, I, I want to bring him up, too, is because he was nasty in his latest outing. And it came against the Pittsburgh Pirates single-A affiliate. And he was perfect through five. Didn't allow a hit, a run, didn't even allow a walk, and struck out nine. And he did a lot of his a lot of his damage with his four seamer, which uh, averaged in the mid 90s, 95, topped out at, at 97. He got 14 whiffs on 23 swings, and he also was able to mix in his changeup and his slider a bit too. Um, and both of them were effective as well. Like he got a pair of swing, a pair of whiffs on five swings with his changeup, and uh, and both of the times that hitters swung at his at his slider, they missed. Um, he was just like electric, electric, with all three pitches um, that he utilized, and it's just it, it's already becoming evident that he's not long for single-A Dunedin. You know, I think he's probably destined to get sent up to, to high-A Vancouver very, very soon, which would be great for, for all you West Coast uh, Jays fans and baseball fans. I mean, I've never been to a game... Uh, I've never been to a Vancouver Canadiens game, but all I hear is just so many people raving about the atmosphere um, and what it's like to watch games out there. So, you know, especially since they haven't been able to play um, home games in Vancouver since 2019 because there was no minor league season in 2020. Last season, they had to play in Oregon because of the uh, border restrictions. So, you know, baseball is finally back in Vancouver. And one of Toronto's top prospects is going to be on his way very, very shortly. Because he hasn't allowed a run since his first start of the season. Like over his last three starts, he hasn't allowed a single run, just two hits. And four and eight walks. You know the the biggest concern with him right now is his command. 
obviously, right? The 10 walks on the season, eight over his last three starts. But this guy is already so talented at such a young age. And, you know, even though he's 19, he could potentially shoot up the minor leagues very, very quickly. You know, I, as a guy who's that young and, and just in his first um, professional season, like we should probably take it a little easy on, the, on him and, and not expect too much. But it's hard not to when he's pitching like this, right? So it wouldn't shock me at all if before the end of May, he's up with the Canadians in Vancouver. And if he continues to dominate at that level, well, he may just end up in double A not too long after as well and, and could potentially finish the year with the Fisher Cats too. Um, so, you know, I again, I don't want to put too much on his plate but it's entirely possible we see him make his major league debut sometime in 2023 I think it's probably out of the question that he won't make his debut this season like it would just he would have to go on some kind of run and there would have to be some sort of string of injuries for the Blue Jays to need to call him up to the bigs but, you know, probably a 2023 ETA of sorts. Um, but for right now, sky's the limit for uh, Ricky Tiedman. And uh, as we start to wrap things up here, I just want to preview the upcoming sched for the Blue Jays. Obviously, right? Like we've already discussed, they got the three-game series against the Yankees, which should be fantastic hopefully at least on paper it projects to be a another grinder like another playoff-esque series um and, and then the, the blue jays will get a bit of a breather to get a four game set with the cleveland guardians uh which which may include teoscar hernandez's return to the lineup and then finally they get a day off a week from monday and then they go to the Bronx to face the Yankees for two games. And then they get another day off before heading to Tampa. So after playing 20 games in 20 days, which is the maximum allowed under the CBA, the Blue Jays are finally about to get some time off after they get through this final stretch of the 20 games in 20 days, um, which I'm sure everyone will enjoy in that uh, in that clubhouse but that does it for this week's episode i hope all of you will join me next week for another edition of blue jays world update but until that time i'm your host thomas hall and now you're up to date and please remember wear a mask wear it properly and get vaccinated thanks for listening